0: Welcome back, everyone, to one of the many shows reviewing the saddest island since Lord of the Flies. And
1: <laughs> I like that one.
0: We got a Lord of the Flies this time. Uh, Davis and Figueredo and Joseph Benavides had what could technically be called a fight, but uh, not really. Uh, and joined, as always, my co host Danny Martin. How Hello, are you doing, folks. Danny?
1: Oh, super good. A little, uh, a little apprehensive for this week's preview, but I guess we'll get to that in a minute, won't we?
0: I mean, we have not a ton to review this time, as I mentioned. Calvin Cater and Danny Ige had a more spirited contest than many of us would have liked. Davison Figueredo and Joe Benavides did not have a spirited contest. And we have Whitaker Till coming up, and we're going to uh, end it off with one of the questions from our patrons uh, on Trevor Whitman and the kind of fighters he produces. That probably won't be long, but we do have some more content regarding that coming up in the future, so this is just going to be pretty short. But yeah, we're going to start with the reviews. So where do you want to start, Danny?
1: Um, I think we could probably spare a few words on Benavidez Figurato. I don't know if there's a whole lot to say that we didn't say the first time around. Um,
0: <laughs> pretty much. This was uh,
1: this was really sad. Like uh, it was not that much fun to watch, even as a you know we are big Figurato fans. It was not fun to watch Benavidez just get knocked on his ass with every clean shot that figueredo landed like i i would have actually been much happier with the first contest being kind of the end of this discussion because it felt not only was it definitive but joe i actually thought had a pretty credible performance in that fight um he looked pretty sharp like he had a lot of good ideas with his striking there were a lot of exchanges that he was doing quite well in as you know makovsky said and we had him on the show Benavidez's ability to throw, you know, three punches and then four punches and then five punches in combination and, you know, eventually drown guys. It was uh it was exciting. It was a thrilling fight. And like there was nothing to dislike about it. This one was just abusive. Like I really again, I struggle to understand the matchmaking. And I think we were I think the Max Holloway Volkanovski two fight gave us a little too much. Like it gave us a little too much optimism for like fighters making a comeback against a really tough matchup. This is more akin to what we, <laughs> what you should expect in these type of, in these types of bookings. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have a lot. I'm, I'm thrilled to see where Figueroa goes next. I, you know, I'm down for Perez, Kai Kara-France. I'm down for uh, who else is that? Brandon Moreno. Whoever he wants to fight, I'm here for. And I'd really like to see Joe B. retire because I don't want to see him get beaten up anymore. Serum. So,
0: yeah, pretty much the same place. Uh, I think, I mean, there were adjustments that I think Figueredo made. I'm not really sure about it, because, like, this time, rather than the rear-hand, right-hand counter they did the first time, he turned it into a bit of a check hook this time. But most of, most of it was just Joe B. sitting physically diminished, at least after that first knockdown, and just didn't really have much for Figueredo this time. Which, I mean, it's rough, because as you mentioned, the first fight, it was one of my favorite fights of the year. Uh, it was absolutely brilliant. Both guys did a lot of very cool stuff. This one, it was just a mugging. It was uh, child abuse, and I I did not like it. But, yeah, I mean, uh, regarding where they go next, I'd really like to see Figueredo-Yen at some point. Probably not now because, you know, double champions are kind of a scourge. But if Figueredo—and Flyway's not terribly tough to quote-unquote clean out. I think Figueredo can. You've got Askar Askarov, who also won on this event. You've got uh, Alex Perez, and you've got Brandon Moreno. And there are some guys coming up, but they probably won't be there before. The division is cleaned out of like top contenders. So if he faces two of those, I'd be fine with him moving up. As for Joe B, big step back. I'd be fine with him facing like Pantoja or something or like Holly and Piva. But I don't really think he needs to fight any more than he has. He's a he's an all time great already, and that's pretty much all there is to say.
1: Yep. Um. I'm down for I'm down for Figueredo, Jan, but I think I do agree that you need to give it a little bit of time. Jan has to fight Aljamain and uh. I mean, well, I mean, fuck knows if they're going to make that fight. Jan has has some bantam ways to keep him busy. Figueredo has some fly ways to keep him busy. Um, but I'd love to see that fight down the line. And I really do like, you know, I sort of feel a little bit about Figueredo, how I felt about when Cejudo won the belt. I'm like, I, I will be thrilled to watch him fight just about anybody. And I don't think there's any matchup that would be uninteresting. And I think that for guys to beat him, it'll they'll also have to be really crafty and really smart to get around him. So even if Figueredo does like drop a fight to someone that we maybe don't expect, I think it'll it'll take a lot to get there um, for that opponent. Like they'll have to be it'll be take an insanely committed and disciplined performance. Um, so I'm like I'm super down for for any one of those, but. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty still pretty bummed about Benavides. I did not like seeing that go the way it went. But again, that's all I got. What's our next one that we got to recap? Is it Kater Ige? Yeah, I mean
0: Kate or Ige. That was, I mean, it was fun. Not bad. Yeah, it was fun. Ige impressed me. Mhm.
1: Yeah. I uh, well yeah, I, I was kind of shocked that uh Ige hung in there. Um. And he actually he actually did give Cater some some issues early. Like uh, we we've, we've probably credited Ige for this in the past, but like he is not an extraordinarily deep fighter. But he's a he's a crafty fighter who knows what he's good at and he's willing to to try different. Like he has good ideas. So you know the sort of quick blitz is to hit the body. Cater doesn't really have much of a check hook um, to stop guys from just sort of you know blasting in on him. He you know, had a decent job working his jab. Cater um, isn't, you know, defensively the best fighter in the pocket either. When especially when you can start combining threats, like it was a lot of good ideas. It was just sort of the the firepower and the um, the, the skill disparity was too wide to bridge. But like I am, I said on Twitter, I am now interested in a lot of different matchups for Cater because I I sort of wonder like if more elite guys in this division are going to be able to compile threats in such a way that can throw him off his game. Like, I'd be interested in seeing if someone like Josh Emmett has the ability to to close distance very, very fast on Cater, hit his body and go upstairs um, and just sort of shock him with, with speed in a way that Danny Gay never was going to. Like, there's there, there's matchups like that that are interesting. Um, But it overall, this one was pretty, also felt kind of open and shut by the end of it I think Ige's best hope was to either start super fast or just compete as long as he could and you know it seemed just wasn't quite enough
0: yeah I mean pretty much I think uh, Ige fought a very specific smart fight in terms of someone who's a not very good going forward and b someone who's very high guardy because I mean Cater he's a, a lot of his defense he's not he's a good counter puncher in general but he's not defensively the best in terms of, like, body attacks, Zabit got to his body, because most of his defense is like a high guard. It's a solid one, but Ige, you know, uh, put together body-head combinations. He did a good job staying out of the range of Cater's jab, did some southpaw stuff later in the fight, I believe. But, yeah, ultimately, it was, I think Cater, he, A, fought a very good five-round fight. He was more body-attacky this fight than I think he's been before, and this would have helped him a lot uh, against uh, Zabit, and he didn't do it there. So that's uh, questionable. But he paced himself, he uh, attacked the body a lot early, and fairly often with the left hook. And in general, it was just a big difference in terms of, you know, firepower and in terms of skill in the pocket, how quick Cater's combinations were, how sensible they were compared to Ige, kind of not being much defensively. And I think Ige, considering that he used to be like a forward-moving kind of power-punching brawler, this was a very good uh, adaptation, because that Ige probably would have gotten chewed up quick. But this one, he gave Cater a good fight. And I'm pretty interested in Ige against a bunch of guys, too, now. I think Emmett would give Cater some trouble uh, with, you know, the blitzes and stuff. But he's also way more jabbable than I think Ige was here. Uh, Because, you know, Burgos got away with a bunch of jabs. And pretty much everyone's jabbed Emmett at will. So I think that could be trouble. But other than that, yeah, I think both guys have interesting matchups moving forward. And both are pretty solid top tens. Cater's probably a top five at this point.
1: Do we want to mention the the featherweight matchmaking? Because we were talking about that a bit in the morning
0: yes it's
1: (laughs) it's weird right it's It's very bad because so here's here's the thing here's what's bothering me it to me it almost feels like that people look at max holloway and alexander volkanovsky as like the only two featherweights that exist in the top five right now does it feel that way for you because it feels that way for me we have brian ortega who hasn't fought in almost two years he's a beat did beat Cater, but he hasn't fought since November. Yair hasn't fought in you know a number of months as well. And none of and keep in mind, none of these guys are like taking fights. Like we've had a lot of stuff rumored, but nothing has been scheduled. Korean Zombie, same thing. Um, like Frankie Edgar is ranked number seven for some reason, like one notch above Cater. I, it's just it's weird to me because I don't want. I don't want like every contender to just fall to like max. Like it's just the, the onus is on him to like determine who's a top five fighter and who's not. And I sort of feel like that's, that's how they're, they're like trying to book these people. It's like, like no one's even, no one's even mentioning, no one's even mentioning Brian Ortega. It's like, you know, I'm it's not, and that's not a, if Cato were to beat Brian Ortega, that wouldn't be insignificant. Right. Like that would actually that would be a significant win that would mean a lot for him. For sure. Um It's just it's it's odd. Like and I you know, I there's a chance they might do Cater volkanovsky which, you know, I I guess that's that's fine by me. I don't I'm not a fight that I'm ever gonna pick Cater to win, but like he certainly deserves it just based on his activity and how willing he has been to, to take fights. But I am very confused by how they're running it. It's it's very strange to me how they're organizing their rankings because uh, Shane Burgos is now below Ryan Hall and you know Josh Emmett is ranked a little bit higher now but you know beating Shane Burgos the way he did you know in fairness probably should have him ranked above someone like Brian Ortega at this point also should have him ranked probably above Yaya Rodriguez at this point like I just I don't understand what they're doing. And so it's leading to like a really stacked division to have a weird amount of stagnation. Do you agree?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very appropriate that like our very first episode was pretty much all talking about the rankings. And now 20 episodes later, we're doing the same thing because the UFC simply will not improve. And I think that's the thing. It's Ortega and Korean Zombie are linked to a fight, but that fight doesn't actually make any sense. And Zabit and Yair are linked to a fight, and that fight does make sense, but it's not actually seeming to be happening. So you've got like people who are unavailable, but also available, because they're not actually doing things, but it looks like they're doing things. And just everyone below them is just like, have a, they have a ceiling on them that they probably shouldn't, because it's like, oh yeah, he's number four, but he's going to be fighting soon, even though he hasn't fought since the last presidential term. It's going to happen, guys, believe us. And,
1: and you just... y- you had a good point where you're like, Brian Ortega slapping Korean zombie in a, like inadvertently kept him relevant in a way that his actual fights weren't. Which is hilarious, because yeah. you're right. Yeah.
0: He slapped the translator and now everyone's like, oh, give him Korean zombie. That's a punishment. Who's, who's punishing him? The punishment would be Calvin Cater. This is a this is a reward.
1: Yeah, a punishment would be like a like to have him fight someone lower. Yeah. Like if you gave if you had Ortega fight like I mean I don't know, Arnold Allen or something like like if you actually had him fight someone who was a lot lower ranked and you kicked Ortega out of the top five. But by like, you know, hyping up a fight but with another top five opponent who would obviously, if Cater were to win that or sorry, if Ortega were to win that, he'd probably get a title shot off it. Like it's actually that was actually yeah. kind of a genius move on Ortega's part to yeah, keep it's just, himself. It's relevant. John Jones
0: to public relations.
1: Yes, like, it was, that was really, like, that's really smart. And I don't even, like, unintentionally smart work by Ortega to keep himself relevant. But I, like, I don't understand what they're doing or why they're doing it. it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I get the sense, I had this feeling that Dana, because Volk Max 2 was razor close, I think Dana can look at, you know, he's in the position where he has the authority to say, like, that was a robbery, and he'll have people who listen to him, so there is a chance that they might just like that they're probably gonna treat Max like the champion and treat Volk as a little bit of an afterthought like like think about this if if we did cater Holloway next, and let's say cater won I mean the the natural progression would be a title shot, right but if they did definitely if they did cater Holloway and Max won. Then you kind of have Max stealing all the momentum of these up and comers. And, like, he's sort of, you know, he's still sort of the one who's defending the the title, if you will, that doesn't actually exist because he doesn't have it. And instead, like, I, I, I still don't really think Dana knows what to do with Volkanovsky because I think he doesn't look at him as a particularly marketable champ. I don't know if he thinks he's that exciting. Um, so he's sort of like, you know, like, what the hell do I do? <laughs> and yeah, I mean, so it's it's impeding the matchmaking to a to a bad degree. Like, I, I don't. There's just there are so many good fights to make at featherweight and not all of them come back to Max Holloway is the point I'm trying to make.
0: Yeah, I mean, Max is kind of in the place where like TJ was after the cruise fight where you're going to have a bunch of top contenders who could get title shots getting shots at max and max could like treat those as quote unquote title defenses if you wanted, but it just doesn't make any sense in this case because volk definitely had an argument to winning probably in my opinion more of an argument than cruz did over tj but you know that's like it's close enough that like it don't really matter but that's the thing and Volk, he actually does want to fight contenders unlike Cruz. So what you're getting is Max kind of acting as like a funnel where no one's going to get through Max probably in the near future, including Cater, as much as I love him, he's probably not going to get through Max. But now Volk is, all Volk Volk is going to have is contenders like Korean Zombie, who like, Korean Zombie, his last win was Frankie Edgar. And before that was Tanato Moikano, no one relevant in the division. So it's a weird, weird division to be in right now. And that is, doesn't even touch guys like Allen and um Ige, who are on like six seven fight win streaks and it took them that long to get near the top 10
1: i think the the crazy it's almost like they're just afraid to make fights like they're i i don't know and again I, we have to all of this is sort of framed within covid is obviously impacting this to a big degree but um cater's already like fought twice max has been active you know volkanovsky just fought but just like based on activity it's almost like activity means more than your actual wins and losses in this division as long as you just stay active and have a decent winning percentage like you'll eventually find your way up the r- well actually that maybe that's not true because we have Shane Burgos who's ranked like 13th um i don't know maybe that's just the exception that proves the rule i guess the thing i'm trying to say is like it seems that the ufc is afraid of matchmaking this division i'm not exactly sure why because they're you know they're not they're not making you could make zombie volkanovsky like that's a fun fight who wouldn't want to watch that you could make ortega cater that is a, a, a match that makes sense and it's competitive and you know if if ortega wins it you know puts him in a good position in the future if cater wins there's no denying he's the number 1 contender um you know he's already th- 13 years into his career he's like he if he's he's making a run now and he's got to do it um you know if you wanted to do yair's a beat i mean that sounds a little weird but okay i guess that makes sense or fuck fuck me arnold allen versus yair makes some amount of sense it's just it's so they're so limited with how they're how they're running this yeah and i kind of hate that
0: it's kind of like yeah, I think you kind of get the sense that they, like, have a bunch of quote-unquote stars in the top. And not really, but, like, you know, Ortega has, like, the Modelo thing, and Yair has Mexico, and Zabit has Russia, and uh, Korean Zombie has Korea, obviously. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want any of them to lose. I want them to stick around here as long as possible. So rather than, like, give them anything to work with, it's just, like, sit on top. Just wait. You got this, man. I'm like,
1: it, it's really It would dumb. make a lot of sense if they were actually – like, that would actually make sense if they were having Volkanovski fight those guys consistently. But the first match they made was Volk Max 2. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, it's... I should we should stop here because we could talk about <laughs> this literally all day. The point is like I, I don't really understand the way that they're they're running this. And at a certain point, like yes, it's significant that it's a beat, you know, beat Cater when they fought, but cater's the one who's continued to fight and is still winning and Zabit is not doing anything so at a certain point like just activity tends to upend wins and losses in that sense so yep. um anyway we've burned a little too much time on that moving on to the <laughs> like the point like why we're here uh the main reason main point of discussion robert whittaker versus darren till is on saturday and it is the main event of a pretty pretty gosh darn weak fight card
0: it's big but it's, it's bad
1: it's yeah it's really not that good um but this is a pretty significant main event and i don't know exactly where i stand so i'll let you i'll let you start this one sir um how are you how are you feeling
0: yeah, so I think Robert Whittaker is a pretty interesting way of looking at how the UFC works, because if you look at his introduction to the to the elite, it started out as like a weapon against Jacare Souza, And now he's given all he could with the Romero trilogy and Adesanya. And now you've got the next guy coming up, Darren Till, who's being used kind of as a weapon against him because Whittaker's not active and he's not particularly marketable anymore. So it's pretty sad. For Robert Whitaker, if he loses this fight, but I kind of think he's a pretty awful matchup for Darren Till if he's still there. It's just that that form is the biggest concern here. So starting out, Robert Whitaker. I think we all know a ton of things about him. Defensively, terrific. Uh, brilliant offensive boxer in the pocket. Solid kicker from the outside, uh, but not great with kick defense. Anti wrestling, A plus plus. There's he's a known quantity for the most part when it comes to his prime. But then you've got how the Adesanya fight went, which could be interpreted in a number of ways. And Darren Till, you've kind of got the opposite, where he started out not looking particularly great. And then you had um, the Woodley fight, where he looked particularly, particularly not great. And you had Masvidal, where he looked very good, but you had the flaws that could rear their head against Whitaker, right? You had the fact that he's not particularly comfortable counterpunching someone when they're like able to cover their entries. Even when it's like big, violent, committed entries, it's just... He got fainted out of his pants and kicked a lot. And you see some weaknesses with a Whittaker matchup there, especially since he got sparked out by a left hook, and Whitaker does those very, very well. But then you've got Gastelum, which, I mean, and a Gastelum win at this point doesn't mean a ton, but he looked very thoughtful there. And a middleweight Till isn't uninteresting because he's a solid puncher. He's not a great finisher, but he's a solid puncher. He's very quick. There are some attributes there that make some sense. Like, in terms of trajectory, you kind of have to lean Till. But in terms of skill, I kind of have to go Whitaker, like, just on presumption. I'm going to go with Whitaker, but, like, there's some stuff to talk about here.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the thing that—there's been two sort of prevailing thought, you know, thought strands for me in thinking about this fight. And one of them is—I've made very evident on Twitter—I really struggle to pin down exactly how good Darren Till is. Because he's had such a weird career. Um, is that okay to say? I hope so. Um, like, he's... He had, a you know, a couple decisions. I mean, he drew with Nicholas Dalby in his second fight. Okay. And then he had the sort of, you know, people consider, like, the breakout win against Cerrone. And then he had that really weird fight with Stephen Thompson that I don't know if he really won, but he was also the only one who really did anything. Did nothing against Woodley, um, kind of got comprehensively solved by Jorge Masvidal, um, and then he fought Kelvin Gastelum, who looked just completely uninterested. And so I, I really do have difficulty like pinning down how good is this guy, like how good is is Darren Till really, because he got, he's had such bad showings at the end of his tenure at welterweight. And his, his end of fight at middleweight, it was a smart performance, but it didn't like, it didn't blow me away. It was actually kind of a back foot punch and clutch type game, which which worked. And he had some nice elbows off the break. He actually seemed to be comfortable using his size at middleweight. Um, he had more success kind of, tagging Kelvin on the way in which I guess is something to look out for but I feel like I have no idea of like exactly how good he is and he had one moment of success against Mosbadal, and then mostly just got pretty much figured out uh, the other sort of thread that I have in my brain is I think a lot of your analysis in this fight you as in like you collectively the audience a lot of your analysis in this fight is likely to be colored by how you viewed the Adesanya fight. Um, whether you thought that was, whether I don't you know. Was that a one really, really, really bad match for, for Whitaker where he just wasn't able to adjust at all. And his opponent just had a perfect read on what he was going to do the whole time. And so, you know, even in some of the smaller, you know, tactical exchanges, Whittaker could have some success, but in a broad strategic sense, he was making all the wrong moves. And it was just, you know, like I said, Adesanya just went in and had a complete read on him. Or was that a kind of a confluence of disaster for Robert Whittaker, where he, you know, he really hasn't had a lot of front to back clean performances in uh, going on a couple of years now you know he his knee buckled early against Romero the first time and he had to kind of fight his way out of a hole. in the second fight he got excuse me he got pretty badly hurt on a number of occasions um, and I think it was lucky to escape with the decision. And then Adesanya just kind of mopped him up. You know, one knockdown at the end of the first round and then another knockdown, and that was it. Um, So was that a... and And then obviously we learned stuff about Whitaker later on. We learned, like, his overtraining situation where he was just going seven days a week and just completely burning himself out. Obviously we know about a lot of his injuries and his pullouts. And... You know, his he has just has not been a very consistent. Just getting him to the cage has just not been consistent. Like he's been, he's had like year a year break for his last two in between his last two fights, and then his more the more active one was 2017 where he beat Jacare and then beat Romero. But you know, that's that's three years ago. Um. So that's like all that stuff you kind of have to consider. Um. As far as the technical side of this matchup, how much do you think Whitaker's approach in the Adesanya fight could actually come into play here?
0: Uh, I think... So, I think one thing that you noted about Whitaker going to the... Or after, rather, the second Romero fight is that Whitaker's not really much of, like, a game planner in terms of... Broad, like, until he got his leg screwed up by Romero, he didn't look like a particularly smart strategic fighter. And I think the way that that works is that Adesanya kind of frustrated his initial approach. He did some very smart angling off as uh, Whitaker entered. He really, really made it difficult for Whitaker to find uh, any first shots and combo off those. So he frustrated Whitaker and Whitaker turned into less of like the, you know, short blitzy combo guy and more into like, uh, I want to get in there and just beat you up until you die type of guy without being a pressure. So he was just like, He entered, Adesanya took the angle and Whitaker was just like swinging at air while Adesanya was next to him. So it was a bad performance in a sense, but it was also not something that I'd expect Darren Till to replicate just in terms of that frustration that Whitaker felt. Against Gastelum, uh, Till did some smart things. He angled off on the back foot sometimes. He framed off Gastelum as he entered or off his own one-two. He leg kicked a lot. Those are things that could give Whitaker some trouble, but I just don't expect Till to have the kind of distance management that Adasanya does, the kind of head movement that he did with, you know, the leaning back off the overhand right and, like, pivoting off, uh, and the counterpunching, honestly. Till's a defined counterpuncher for a lot of people, but his counters, they're kind of one note. He does the hop-step straight that uh, Conor McGregor does, hence the comparisons, and um, he's not particularly comfortable counterpunching someone who's, like, actually fine at making entries. So we're looking at someone who's, like... A counterpuncher in name, but I don't really see him counterpunching a Whitaker in good form, where Whitaker, you know, he can feint in and uh, set his his entries up. He can jab against southpaws and stuff. He's very good at um, staying defensively responsible on entries. And entry is basically where um, Till does his best work, not really on exits, and that's where Romero caught him in the second fight. So I don't really see that being a route for Darren Till. It's just it's a fight where Till has to strategize a lot to find even a little bit of success. And I'm not sure he's going to strategize at all for this one, just because Gastelum was a fight where he notably felt nervous and like you know didn't want to be there, and he fought tentatively, and it worked because Gastelum is um, Kelvin Gastelum, and Robert Whitaker is something completely different, at least in his prime.
1: Yeah, I think the the Masvidal and Thompson fights for Darren Till are pretty, uh, they feel pretty telling to me, like in the sense that. Darren Till is not particularly good at disincentivizing or even dealing with blitzers. Um, Because there were times when Thompson would kind of blitz in and throw, like, you know, combinations, either like head-body or just head. And Darren Till would just either just kind of back straight up. Um, You know, he would kind of – he would try to lean to get out of the way, but they weren't, like, educated leans where he was – you know, drawing guys out the way that Adesanya did and then it was able to sort of take advantage of these big, over-exaggerated swings. He's just trying to get away. Um, I guess that, that's kind of what I mean, not just his resume, but like his actual toolbox. I don't really know how deep Darren Till's well goes um, because so much of what he does is sort of built on threats but he's not like he sort of looks like he's gonna be this massive kicker and he doesn't really kick that often. Uh you know, he wants to counter but he's not actually that good at dealing with you know guys who give him you know, guys who enter on him. Um I think the gasoline fight in some ways was kind of a band-aid for you know, for a lack of counterpunching from Till, in the sense that Instead of trying to counter Gastelum on the way in, he just smothered him um, and just sort of tried to 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 clutch off of his opponent's entries as opposed to trying to counter every single one. Yeah, that actually cosplayed
0: Leon Edwards.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit like a discount Leon, wasn't it? And that actually that might work like. That may not be such a bad idea. Uh, Whitaker's a really, you know, Whitaker's very strong in the clinch, but um, that Adesanya did that a bit as well, where he actually, like, he would kind of grab the collar tie. He he would, you know, slip a strike as he's leaning out, and then as he's sort of recoiling, coming back to his stance, he would grab a hold of Whitaker, hold the collar ties, and then angle out as Whitaker was still trying to throw. Uh, So there's something there for Till. Um, I just... My biggest thing, I don't even know if, for Whitaker, it's, like, chin that I'm worried about. I know a lot of people have been talking about that, and they realize he took a hellacious amount of damage against Romero in their second fight, and then kind of got consummately finished by Adesanya. But I don't even know if it's that so much as I just really don't trust Whitaker physically. Like, Like, he started to look a little bit winded at the end of the first round against Izzy. And for a fighter who I think relies on I don't know just attritional damage, but he tends to need he tends to need his pace. Um, like that was kind of something that he he weaponized against Romero on their first fight and in their second fight um, was just the fact that he, he can keep he can keep a pace. Um, he can set a pace. I don't know how much I actually trust him to keep his own pace at this point. Um he's just looked ever slightly a little bit slower, a little bit more exhausted. Like the the defensive moves just look a tiny bit more labored. Um Whitaker is, you know, he's not he's not Max Holloway in terms of cardio. I realize he can't just go all day. He gets tired like everybody else. But it's the fighters who sort of set a pace that they can't keep that kind of that worries me a little bit. Um and Again, I don't – but you sort of have to funnel this through. Like, he was fighting Adesanya, who is also a great pace fighter in his own right. Darren Till does not keep a pace. Like, he's like a a famously low-output fighter for the divisions he's in, which is part of the reason why I've been so confused why he's generated so much of a following. You know what I mean? Like, one of the reasons I'm still yeah, sort of – the cowboy foot. Yeah, I'm just sort of confused, like, why did this guy generate so much attraction amongst fans? It's like, he's often not even that much fun to watch. Um, Anyway, Darren Till does not really push a pace, and Whitaker should be, you know, if Whitaker knows what's good for him, he should try to. But I, I don't know, how, how much of a finisher is Robert Whitaker these days? I mean, he's been fighting really tough competition.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of what you have to because he like the head kick that he landed on uh, Romero in the second fight, for instance, that would have finished everyone else in the division. And uh, he didn't really get to hurt Adesanya, but you know, that's less of a function of like punching power slash finishing finishing instinct, and more he can't land on Adesanya. So I think it's. I think Whitaker's still a pretty solid puncher. He's um, he's a very tight puncher in exchanges. He's uh, very crafty in there. He's good at landing his left hook, and that's generally what's uh, given him finishes like Brad Tavares. And Tavares isn't super durable, but, you know, it's the kind of blind short shots that tend to finish guys with him. Uh, he's still pretty good at, you know, sneaking his head kick behind his right hand. You've got a ton of tools there that, like, catch guys completely off guard. He's not like a historic. He's not like Apollo Costa or Yo Romero, but he's very he's powerful enough that you have to respect him. And I think this fight might go all five rounds if Till just, you know, concedes to the low pace and Whitaker just lands a couple shots here and there. But I think my worry is just, it's the same as I had with Dustin Poirier against Dan Hooker with Robert Whitaker. It's that more than looking shot right now, it's that I have to be worried that he's in a position where he's going to look very, very bad in the near future. And with Whitaker, it's like a hundred times worse because with Whitaker, it's, He's taken a ton of damage in the last three fights. He's also gotten injuries. He's also gotten sick. He's also burnt out. You've got, like, it it really couldn't get any worse going into this fight in terms of, like, how to project where he is. So even if he's, like, still there mentally and he still knows what he's doing, it's rough to see him, like, you know, breaking all his limbs, them all falling off and still beating Till like he did to Yo Romero. Like, he's getting older. He's getting deeper into his career. He's accruing more mileage. It's... Uh... Like I as I said before, I kinda have to pick Whitaker on presumption because he's better, but there's like a ton of circumstances here that I really can't account for.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of why I wanted to um that's why I wanted to preface this whole discussion was I was like it sort of depends on you, right? It depends how much you really take from that Adasanya fight. Um Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I don't think I'd pick a like a twenty four. 14, 2015, 2016, version of uh, I, I wouldn't pick that version of Robert Whitaker to lose. Um, but I just like, I just hate fights like this because I have no, I have no indication of where Robert Whitaker is other than he almost got killed like four times in his last two fights. And that's that's hard to, you know, it's hard to put a lot of faith in that, right? Like, Um, the thing that bums me out is the fact that if, if Darren Till wins, I feel like the takeaway for a lot of people is just that Robert Whittaker can't beat strikers. And I don't think that that's a really much of a fair analysis. Um, like my thing is more just, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I'll, I'll say it here is that the, the karate a karate boxer style of fight. It's, you know, if you're if you're going to make that your style. It's a pretty athletically dependent style. And it has a certain degree of like. There's a certain degree of risk with it. Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. You are sort of relying on fast, deceptive step ins where you can close distance quickly and then immediately angle out. And I'm not knocking Whitaker's skill. I think he's, you know, he and Horaguchi are still the best examples of this. But there is a there is a high degree of risk in that if you, you know, with Horaguchi we saw if you get timed on entry, you can get your head blasted off because you are closing down guys very very quickly and you may be compromising your position or you just run on to a colliding shot. With Whitaker against Adesanya, we saw if you try to you know, if you try to exchange further, if you try to extend exchanges past the point when, like, that first one or two, you know, that sort of one or two key punch combination is thrown, you also risk being thrown way out of position. Um, Like, it's does it strike you as a style that's likely to age really effectively over time?
0: Yeah, like you're not gonna see Hafaela Sunset doing that kind of thing because no. it doesn't make any sense.
1: It's it's a hard it's a hard style and like again, Whitaker won the title and defended it like with it. So I'm not like I'm not knocking it as a quality. I'm saying it's just a it's a hard style to try to maintain. Um it really is. I think there's a lot of avenues for Robert Whittaker here. Um, like, you know, as we said, Till's responses to the the blitzes and entries of Jorge Masvidal, um, you know, in a pretty brilliant, brilliant performance from Masvidal where he figured out just about everything Till had. And after like two and a half minutes of that fight, there was nothing that Darren Till had that Masvidal hadn't seen before. And he just had him pretty, pretty consummately figured out. um, I don't know if Till is active enough as a kicker to really like, you know, kind of cause give Whitaker some pause at range the same way that Adesanya did. Um as you said, the left hook, like, that should just be Till should just be a mark for that every night. Um and if Till just gets gets impatient and tries to trust to enter with a big left hand, like I have to assume Whitaker's at least been been preparing for that shot Whitaker's hard to hit clean to the chin in open space Um, so there's like there are elements here and that that really favor Whitaker and I really came into this I like I said I don't I didn't want to pick till just off like just because of the trend you know, just because I don't know where Whitaker's at and I'm like kind of throwing a fuck it pick on Darren Till. But I think that's what I'm going to end up doing. And it's not I'm not happy about it. Like I, you know, I would love to see Robert Whitaker win this fight and I'd love to see him, uh, you know, get back on his feet and start fighting consistently again, because I think he's got a lot to offer. But it's just looking at the way his career has gone I just can't help my I can't help but think that the margin for error with Robert Whittaker is so much narrower than it needs to be given the style that he tries to he tries to play. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd be The thing is, originally this fight was not this fight, but in March it was Jared Cannonier, and I think that's a significantly more worrying fight for Whittaker in terms of the margin of error because Cannonier, he's like as his name says, he wields cannons. And uh, Whitaker, you know, if he gets caught there, it's probably over even just as a function of Cannoneer hits really, really hard instead of Whitaker chin. Till, I'm not quite as worried in that sense because Till's a puncher and he can, you know, take advantage of the margin of error, but he's not like a monstrous puncher like Cannoneer or Romero. So I think that might be what swings me from like, ooh, I don't trust Robert Whitaker anymore to maybe Robert Whitaker can like buy the time to figure Till out. But again, like, it might not even just be chin. It might just be he breaks his foot or breaks his ankle or breaks his knee or breaks his arm or breaks his entire ribcage. Like uh, nothing is certain with Robert Whitaker anymore. And it's so frustrating because Whitaker, it's like I feel like Whitaker going to go down as like one of the most underrated champions ever in terms of skill. Because you're looking at a guy who he beat Yo Romero twice. But the caveat is, one, Yo Romero wasn't great the first time in terms of striking. And people are like, oh, he's a pure wrestler. And the second time when he got even better at striking, it was, oh, Yo Romero beat him. So you've got a guy who just really can't win if he doesn't win this fight. And after this, apparently Jack Hermanson wants Whitaker. I don't think that's tough for Whitaker at all. If anything, that should have been the comeback fight. But um, it's, yeah, I'm going to go with Whitaker, but it's not a confident pick at all. I wish it were, but, you know, it's, there's too much of a skill differential for me to say confidently, but the decline chance is, like, going to absolutely screw it up.
1: The one thing that I will say... Um, is that like, I, and, and I have, I have made mistakes like this in the past with like picking fights where I've leaned so far into the sort of trend discussion that I sort of ignore. I ignore the bigger, you know, technical questions of a fight. And that's, you know, if that's a mistake, then that's on me. Uh, one thing I will say is that Robert Whitaker, hasn't lost at middleweight except to an Israel Adesanya who had him perfectly figured out and just was operating at the height of his powers. It's important to remember that's the only loss that, that he's taken. Um like, you know, he's not Whitaker is not an easy fighter to beat. And I, I think just because Israel Adesanya made it look easy doesn't mean that it is easy for everybody else. So, like, keep that in mind, because there is a very good chance that Whitaker just makes me look stupid. And I hope he does. Robert, if you're listening, please make me look stupid. Um, so I, I I'm in the end, I'm going to side with the side with the trend, but I don't bet on this fight. We say that sometimes. Don't bet on this fight. It's like
0: yeah, it's it's an evens. There's no value either side.
1: If Whitaker comes out just looking shot to pieces, I'm not gonna feel good about my analysis. And if Whitaker comes out and wins and makes makes it look easy, uh, you're welcome for my advice to not bet on it because we're we're splitting, Uh, we're splitting our picks. (laughs) Um, anyway. Hope for the best in Robert Whittaker. Darren Till, I just, I still don't really, it still doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, what was our third segment? We were going to talk about Whitman. Uh,
0: it was a Whitman question.
1: Okay, can you read the question for me?
0: Uh, yeah, just a sec. It was something like, what kind of, it was uh, talk about the kinds of fighters that Trevor Whitman produces. Uh, so, you know, after the Gaethje fight, I think we have a good idea after Kamaru Usman and Rose Nami Yunus, there are some, uh good samples there, I suppose. So, yeah, that's the question. Talk about the kinds of fighters that Trevor Whitman produces.
1: Good punching mechanics. Yep. There's a big one. Um, very even, clear with Rose. Even, yeah, as Rose, even as far back as like Nate Marquardt, who has a lot of problems, but like, uh, Whitman is a coach does a great job teaching teaching punching mechanics i think it was uh Tumen in our group chat that mentioned uh how gaethje's left hook has kind of gone from a more american kind of topside fist uh to more of a russian like you know palm down sort of left hook um in terms of how he throws it uh and just his his weight distribution on his punches, he you know he sits down, he's planted when he throws. Um, I think Rose Namajunas is a is another good example of someone who can do that. Like she did a lovely job of like check hooking and pivoting off when she fought Andrade the first time. For someone who you know really had issues with any kind of striking early in her career, um, I think Whitman's great at that. Whitman is. Uh, as Conor Rebus has pointed out, he's an excellent cornerman, um, both in terms of advice and in terms of uh, how much he cares about his fighters. He's a compassionate cornerman. Um, you remember in the Marquart fight against Kelvin Gastelum, Marquart said he was he was done, and Whitman stopped the fight without a second thought, didn't even didn't hesitate just called the fight immediately that's not really technical analysis it's just uh with the amount of shit corner and ref stoppages that we see in this sport it's important that we give some credit to the one who's quite good at that would you agree sir
0: yeah definitely i mean both he and elevation in general have put a premium on that um it's like as you said it's not something technical but it's something that's very important to the longevity of a fighter and i think that's Another thing that Whitman, that kind of leads into something technical, which is Whitman's development of Justin Gaethje has been something more tuned towards longevity than, like, action. Because, like, even if you look at the way Gaethje used to fight, right, I think I would have picked him pretty confidently over Donald Cerrone and Tony Ferguson. But the way that he's fighting now it's something that it's not taking as much damage as he used to. And he's still, I don't know if I'd call him better, but he's fighting more carefully. And um, it's... A very interesting strategic pivot for Gechi to take, and I think Whitman's mostly responsible for that. Uh, it's it's just a, it's a very smart camp, and they do some great things.
1: Whitman has well, t- from what I can tell, from an outsider's perspective, and I said this on Twitter as well. Whitman and Gechi, from the looks of it, have a much better idea of how to approach Khabib than just about anybody else and I realize we're saying this before the fight so there's a chance that Gaethje could come in with a terrible strategy or just you know whatever <laughs> it can fall apart in a, in a number of different ways but I I want to say that like he brought in Kamaro Usman to spar with and train with Justin Gaethje and they were practicing you know stopping chain wrestling they were practicing sprawls they were practicing you know I think they kind of worked some time in the clinch. There is no better analog for Khabib Nurmagomedov, you know, as far as training than Kamaru Usman. Like that is that is the perfect person that you should pick to go. <laughs> if you're trying to prepare for Khabib, like that is the perfect training partner. Um, so he's he's very smart. And his I think one of the things Whitman does well is not just in terms of strategy, but in fight adjustments as well. Um. I wrote a big metagame piece two weeks ago about adjustments in MMA and how hard they are. One of the things I said is that uh, when you talk about adjustments, you have to consider, you know, it's not just the ability to make adjustments, but can the fighter commit to the adjustments? And so some of this is like, you know, I don't really know if Rose is that committed and adjusting fighter. So even when Trevor Whitman sort of gives her advice in the middle of a fight, I don't know how much she can really take that to heart. Um, she can be cowed a bit by pressure and so forth. Justin Gaethje, on the other hand, is someone who listens all the time. Um, and you could just you could see that in the, the Tony Ferguson performance. Like there's, you know, the proof is in the pudding there. Like every time... Every time Whitman told him anything, Gaethje was receiving the information, you know, take 10 percent off the shots after he got knocked down in the second round. No problem. Never happened again. And he just kept breaking Tony down. Uh, I need you to, you know, last time you did this, you got stopped Gaethje twice. Um, And he just stayed completely sharp the whole time, Um, told him to look for the check hook, told him to set up the kicks. Gaethje followed suit immediately I'm not I'm sorry if we're making this more of like a Gaethje and Whitman pairing conversation but I think when you get a coach who sort of has a star pupil like that and we see all of these skills come to the fold kind of like a Dillashaw Barrow um you know with Dillashaw and Dwayne Ludwig type thing it's hard not to to look at that example and be like this is exactly what the sort of training you know coach fighter relationship could be you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't like Gechi is a great example of the things that Trevor Whitman does best. I think you could even look at uh, some of Kamaru Usman's uh, things against Jorge Masvidal, because that was his first camp with Whitman, I believe. And he did some, you know, pairing of kicks. He hit the body very actively. He did that against Covington, too. But in general, the way that Whitman has been uh, developing his fighters with the good punching mechanics and the strategic efficiency, it's a... It's a very smart way to fight that'll benefit a lot of people and it I mean it kind of sucks that everyone can't be with Whitman but you know that's kind of the appeal of Whitman is that only a few can cuz he puts a lot of time into them. So it's yeah, Trevor Whitman he he's brilliant and we're going to take probably a bigger look at that.
1: Um who else is under his tutelage? I'm trying to see um because I, like, the, the examples that jumped out of my mind were Nami Yunus and, and Gaichi, But, like, who else does he, like, who else does he train? Do you know anybody offhand?
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, most of the guys I associate with Whitman are actually team elevation because uh, Gaichi trains in both places. But, uh, let's
1: see. Brandon Thatch.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, Thatch is a good striker, so that, yeah. that works.
1: And I think I think Thatch had his own. Thatch had yeah. his own issues. Okay, so it says that's not here, a coaching I, thing. Yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, I I don't really know exactly how much credence to give this list. One of the lists it says Stepe Miocic sometimes trains under Trevor Whitman. Uh, yeah. I haven't ever seen him in his corner, but I, I guess that's an example. Yeah. I'm not really like, again I don't I don't really know. The one that really jumps out is Justin Gaethje and and obviously Rose Namajunas. Um but it is notable that like those two fighters made gigantic strides, both technically, mechanically and strategically under his tutelage. Whitman is kind of he does sort of feel like the gold standard. And if, if Gaethje pulls it off against Khabib, then I think Tre- Trevor's got to be the everybody's pick for coach of the year. I don't think that would even Definitely. be much of a discussion. Um, But yeah, like I've. I have never heard anything come out of Trevor Whitman's mouth that didn't make sense or I didn't sound like educated or that ended up proving to be true in some capacity. He's just a really he is kind of the gold standard at the moment. It's like him and, and Behrman at City Kickboxing. So.
0: Yep. Uh, um. So what? Anything else coming up? And is there anything else on that Whitaker card? I don't think there is.
1: I mean, There's fuck me. You really want to talk about Shogun versus Gustafson?
0: Yeah, let's not Because do I that. don't. Okay, I think that's it. <laughs> uh, do you have yeah. anything coming out this week? I don't think I do. I think I've started something long-term on Joseph Benavides because, you know, that's... Uh, it's, a, it's a sad tale, but has to be told. Uh, you got cool. anything?
1: I just had an article on Brad Riddell go up yesterday. Um, Brad Riddell it's is... In... Yeah, exactly. Bring him back. Um... I think a lot of us have a, have high hopes for Brad Riddell as he's a city kickboxing alum. Um, and I think that if he keeps improving and fighting consistently, he could really make a run at the lightweight elite, which would be terrific. Um, I have, I have another metagame piece like on tap. I haven't started it, but I've kind of formatted the thing. Um, and so i'm not I'm not sure I was gonna try to do one more for the month of July, like one more article. I'll take a look at stuff. I'm not really sure. Nothing's really jumped out as like I really want to write about this, so I guess I'll just have to wait and see. but i got I got through two articles that I'd kind of been sitting on for a little while, which is the metagame piece and then the Riddell piece. So you know who knows what's gonna come after that. but yeah, thank you everybody for joining us soon. uh. Next week. Are we doing another one this week? I know Kyle wanted to do one with about oh, BJ no. Penn. Yeah, favorite, we need
0: to see about that.
1: Because the timing hasn't worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um we should be back next week. What the hell is next are is there another no pay per view next pay per is in August. Do we get a week off? I don't know what's next.
0: No, it's home Aldana. Oh
1: God. Really? <laughs>
0: yep. August is, home any, Aldana. is there
1: any is there anything on there that we should care about?
0: I think the co main event well, is Brunson versus, versus Shabazzian. Okay, do I care about that? I don't think I care about that.
1: It says there's. there's. Oh, no. No. Luke a versus Brent. I mean, not, no, uh, not really.
0: I don't want to talk about current Luke. A. That's just sad.
1: Yeah, wow. And then do we get a week off? So this is, there is uh, like- August. No, no. Next is. Lewis versus Alinek.
0: Oh my god. Oh my god. Do they seriously oh. not give Burgos and Emmett a main event for Lewis versus Alinek?
1: No, we don't actually have a week off in a while. Like we're going straight to the to mid-August, which is going to be the next pay-per-view.
0: Ah, but which, do we have things to talk about? That might be the real week off.
1: Miocic versus Cormier 3. Oh boy, it's going to be fun. Really lit. Yeah, in case anyone's still wondering, I still fucking hate DC, so I have a lot to say there. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, please stay tuned to the Fight Site. You can check out Hyperfly's, uh, their grappling gear. Go down to the bottom of the Fight Site page and click the link. Um, check out all the stuff that we are releasing on you know like weekly, monthly basis. Uh, the Fight Site on Twitter. You can check out SRM CIRM, at says. You can check out me at DMarty77 and follow our whole Fight Site staff. Thank you guys so much and stay safe.